and welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey guys. And this is another patron-requested game. I'm actually very excited. We're going to be talking about Suikoden for the PlayStation. But before we jump into that, Billy, what have you been playing since our last show? Oh man, well, work has this weird thing where they, they're just, they're working me. They're working me a lot. Long hours. Uh, I, I do work away from home the majority of the time. So my, my game time since the last full recording is probably the lowest it has been in a while. Um, but I, I'm still sneaking it in when I can, when I'm home. Uh, but I am, oh God, uh, it, it was a free-to-play release game, The Finals. And I am just, I am hooked on that. And it's not usually my thing. It's one of, you know, it's a, a three-man team based, you know, kind of kind of shooter sort of thing. It, it's, 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 it's hard to describe, uh, but I, I've been having a great time uh, with that, I, I did actually manage uh, with my day off today. Uh, I picked up that uh, that sequel, uh, Turnip Boy Robs a Bank, and I, uh, I I think as of when we get off here recording, I'm gonna go down and do what I believe is the last uh, kind of little bit of it. I a really fun romp. I, I love the first one. Uh, this one's this one's more of the same. Uh, it, it got a little repetitive towards the end, but it's uh, it's pretty spot on with its its humor. Uh, both those are, are a couple of the, the funniest games I I have played. Uh, but yeah, that, that's uh, that's about it. A lot of the finals, uh, just some other little things here and there. I try. Oh God, I tried that game. Is it those who remain? Um, it was a survival horror that I was really looking forward to, and it looked really good, and it came out on uh, Game Pass, and it is a steaming pile. Um, it, it's woof. Yeah, stay away from that one. Um, I, I've already had to uh, fully uh, re restart a couple of times, and I, I don't think I'm going to be starting again. But yeah, that's that's about it. I'm just I'm trying, to, trying to get in some shorter games and just dedicating way too much time to the finals which is a game that doesn't end yeah i've, I've found myself playing a lot of uh of older games i know this is a retro gaming podcast so that makes a lot of sense but just in mm -hmm. general i've mm -hmm. just been playing a lot of older things uh, i know we did a, a bonus episode last month on dig dug 2 because we were doing it as a score challenge mm -hmm. on discord so since then we've done yars revenge for the atari 2600 uh the original kung oh, yeah. fu for the nes and now we're doing city connection a game i can't believe i picked uh, for everyone to play through. <laughs> so I've been, I've been playing a lot of those things. Uh, also, our our Final Fantasy VII R replay we're doing on Discord, I've been playing Whoa. along with that. I'm behind everybody else, but I, I'm, I'm going to catch up. But I've beat it before, so whatever. I, I'm ready to to find a way, which means I'm probably buying a PS5 to play uh, to play the, the next re-release, I guess the second piece of Final Fantasy VII R. But I was very excited. Ooh. In order to play this game, uh, the only way I own the game we're going to talk about today, Sweet Coden, is on, uh, I bought it a long time ago on the Vita, which means I could download it before the, the servers went down for PS3. So I was playing it on my PS3, you know, via buying on the PlayStation Network or whatever. And I realized, I saw something like in a, in a forum somewhere and it was like, hey, don't forget the PS3 is like one of the best PS1 emulators out there. And I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I thought only the first mm -hmm. model PS3 played PS1 and PS2 games, but I was wrong because I do zero research uh, on real life things. So any PS3, I guess the fat model, will play PS1 games. So I was very excited and I ran downstairs and I, I grabbed a bunch of games that didn't properly run on my PS2 or they ran just like well enough. When we covered Air Guys, shoot, probably four years ago at this point, um, I could play through the RPG part fine, but the fights would get through about three or four rounds and then the music would lock up and it would just keep crashing. I can play that now on my PS3. I'm very excited. But more than that, 
uh, in buying some other games we're going to be covering soon. I went a little eBay crazy. And so I'm also now the proud owner of Bubsy 3D. I was playing that on the PS3. Uh, it's not very good. I'm not going to lie. It is as bad as I recall. Maybe not as bad as I remember, but it's still pretty terrible. I'm trying to find a way to stream off the PS3 reliably. I know I need a like a splitter that deals with a specific type of, uh, of copy protection or whatever. So I'll figure it out. And if I can do that, I'm definitely going to start streaming just to stream Bubsy 3D. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it's been a lot of this game. I put a lot of time into this. I'm very excited to talk about when we get to it. But before we do, Jeremy, what have you been playing since our last episode? I haven't been able to play too much because earlier this week I managed to like pull a muscle in my back when I was just pouring cereal Ooh. one morning. <laughs> God, God! Like, is it, yeah, we, I, I think we we have a new uh, a new contender for the best old man injury on the podcast right now. It's it, it was bad, and you know, I I my dad has always had a bad back, and you know, was very mm. prone to having pulled muscles and throwing out his back, and I think I'm kind of finally getting to that point. Uh, he would always sit me down someday and be like, you, you'll find out, you'll know in your 40s, and I, I am. I um, pulled, you know, I just kind of pushed my arm forward to pull, pour those Cheerios out, and, uh, you know, there's a very distinct feeling whenever you pull a muscle in your back. Mm. It, it kind of just feels like the, the muscle uh, cramps up really quick, and there are two endings to that. It is either... It will, you are going to be incapacitated for like a good week or two of just not being able to move, uh, or it will slowly get better over the course of the day. And mine was kind of in between because I couldn't do too much uh, at all last week with my left arm, like even sitting down and just playing games. Uh, it's one reason I, it, it's been really hard to get through Final Fantasy Remake for the Discord, uh, but I'm doing it. Uh, it. It's just, it was really hard to hold my, my arm there. It was hard to breathe. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever pulled a muscle in your back where it's just it hurts to breathe, um, oh. but it, it didn't like that. So uh, there's there's only so much Tylenol and Advil can do to a pulled muscle. But yeah, it was it was rough there for a few days. But that's really about it. I did buy Tekken Eight, but I haven't been able to fucking play it yeah. uh, because of uh, you know my injury <laughs> to my arm, this horrible injury that I the the serial pouring injury. Um, mm. It's uh it, it's just been that kind of week. So I really haven't had too much um, too much time to play games anyway, even if I wasn't injured. Um, but yeah, I think it, going forward, uh, we're going to finish up Final Fantasy VII Remake next week, I think, maybe? Or I don't know. That's I think we got to do four more chapters and we'll be done. Um, but after that, I think I'm going to try to focus on Tekken 8 and uh, see what else I can, I can find to play. Because I really, I just haven't been able to play too much lately. Well, this uh, game we're going to talk about today has nothing to do with back pain, thankfully. Uh, we're going to be talking about the PlayStation game RPG classic, Suikoden, a patron-requested game.
recommended by CC Thunder, who's uh, one of our patrons also over on the Discord. Uh, he picked it because it is one of his personal favorites, uh, if JRPGs of all time, at least the first two in the series. Uh, he wanted to make sure we talked about the music, which I think is very good, and we'll get into it somewhat. Uh, the story, mm-hmm. obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it because the story is any part of a JRPG is very good. Uh, and he had one specific complaint uh, that we are going to talk about, uh, but I don't want to give it away because I only have one complaint as well, and it's the same exact thing. Um, so before we get, uh, let me try that again. So it's the same exact thing. Uh, Billy, had you played this game before this podcast? I, I haven't played it. I was aware of it. I, I think you know, I've probably seen it in magazines and whatnot. But th- this was this was the point in time, you know, th- this this several year span here, where if it was an RPG and it wasn't Final Fantasy VII, uh, I or Super Mario RPG, I just I, I couldn't get into it. Um, this was this was dur- definitely during that that RPG dislike period i had well I, I don't know if it's a matter of patience or what it was but i i just i, I stayed away from the majority of them uh and i'm really only just now over the last few years coming back around so no never never touched this one yes i have played this this uh back in the day so i believe this was like the first big jrpg to come out on the playstation uh this was before wild arms anyway and I, I believe, am I wrong? Let me, let me look that up. Real quick. Uh, it, it's, it was the first major one, uh, as I recall. And, and again, this is entirely from memory from working in a game store at the time. Uh, Beyond the Beyond was one of the first that came out. And everyone's kind of like, yeah it's, yeah, it's fine. But really for RPGs, the Super Nintendo was still like the RPG system of choice until Final Fantasy VII. I mean, there were, Suicoden was one, Wild Arms was one. Everyone's like, yeah, these are cool. And everyone's like, yeah, but they're not Final Fantasy. They're not as good. Don't, don't jump mm-hmm. to a PlayStation for RPGs. Um, so, so I do understand what you're saying there. It's one of the early, at least in the U.S., RPGs for the system. Yeah, and that's uh, that's mainly what I remember it for was like this was one of the the very first ones for the PlayStation that me and my cousin bought and uh, played through, but. For whatever reason, like it kind of got overshadowed, you know, by Wild Arms and, of course, Final Fantasy VII when that came out. And it, it didn't help that this this RPG, we'll talk about it, it's not a super long RPG. Um, so it, it really didn't hang around like your typical 80, 100-hour long JRPG uh, back, in the, back in the day. But, yeah, we played through this and had a lot of fun with it. Um, but it was just one of those early PlayStation RPGs that... Uh, for whatever reason, it wasn't one of those RPGs that down the line where we we were like, man, remember Swakoden? That game was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, coming back to it and playing it now, like this this is definitely one of the better RPGs on the PlayStation, even if it's not maybe like you know something like Wild Arms or Final Fantasy VII. Well, yeah, it, it looks like a Super Nintendo game. That's what I I remember when it came out. I was like, yeah, this is fun and it has some cool magic effects that maybe this the Super Nintendo couldn't do very well, but otherwise. It looks, you know, it's sprite based. Um, it's it's very very standard looking. It would be a very good looking Super Nintendo game, but it it wasn't what I recalled as being like a mind blowing PlayStation game graphically at the time. Now I will also say almost all those games that I would have said are mind blowing at the time. I play them now; they're hideous, <laughs> and you, you you don't like them. Or this still holds up really well today. I had bought this one; it was new, and at the time. Uh, the girl I was dating and I had lived together and she was just getting into JRPG. She made like Lunar and really liked it. And she, for whatever reason, like fell in love with this game. So I watched her play parts of it a lot, but I didn't really get into it because it was kind of like, oh, that's her game and I'll get to it sometime. And I was busy doing whatever else, uh, whatever dumb thing I was playing, probably multiplayer fighting games. I was really into fighting games, despite how bad I am. And now uh, when Tekken and, and uh, even 
Toshinden and stuff came out. Like that, that was that was all my friends and I played. So this was like I saw parts of it. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, this looks cool. I'll play it someday. And then uh, we broke up eventually. And then I hated Suikoden because it reminded me of the, <laughs> this girl I used mm. to date. So I never gave it a mm. chance. I've had Suikoden one and two. I had purchased when I bought a whole bunch of classic PS games uh, on the Vita when I was just like, oh yeah, they're on sale. Grab them all. So I have this and the sequel, but I had never really played them uh, in depth until this podcast. So I was actually very surprised to see how deep this game actually is while still being a fairly simple uh, mechanically JRPG for like the combat and stuff. It's turn-based. It is, you know, you don't like games like Final Fantasy VII introduce things like Materia, so you had all the stuff to do in the background. Final Fantasy VIII has, you know, all the craziness with attaching your GFs to your character and making sure you level certain things up and add certain things here and get magic from it. No, this is a pretty much straightforward by the book classic JRPG mechanically at first. And then it does do a lot of things to differentiate itself, uh, specifically how you kind of get to build your party up, which I've never played another JRPG that has this many options. And we're, we're definitely going to talk about that because I think that's the meat of this game. Uh, so Suikoden came out in 1995 in Japan, 1996 in the U.S., 1997 in Europe, developed and published by Konami themselves. Um, this is a game where you play the son of one of the generals of the Scarlet Moon Empire. Uh, your dad goes off to war in the north, and so you're kind of left to follow in his footsteps, doing things for the empire, going out to collect taxes, whatever the, the jobs are that you're supposed to do. Uh, and so you and a group of people who have worked for your father that are now there to kind of take care of you go out to do these chores. And in that process, you kind of determine, hey, uh, perhaps the empire isn't that great at all. And you get involved to some level with uh, the lip. <clears throat> the Liberation Army, which you end up actually heading at a certain point, or else the game wouldn't be that much fun. Um, and then from that point on, it's just you going out, going around you know, the map to take on each different piece of the Empire until you can eventually take on the Emperor himself. Uh, it, it From the get-go, it looks like it's going to be more of a strategy game, just based on that description, but it's not. Again, you are out in the field, you can have up to six people in your party, and, and the combat itself is traditional turn-based combat. You get into combat, you have the option fight, defend, use runes, which are the magic system, uh, use an item, which is pretty standard in RPGs, and then you have a unite feature, which I didn't get to use too often at first, but later on, as you get different people of different styles, um, they may group together for a group attack, which is what the unite function does, which I thought was really, really cool once I found it out. But when you first start out, it's very much like you're in the you're in this main city, and then you go to a village, and you talk to people in the village, and it tells you to go to this other village. And you go to this, I mean, it's a very standard JRPG in that way. So when I when I first started playing it this time, I was a little bit underwhelmed. I was kind of like, okay, I remember this having a lot to it, but I, it takes a little bit to get to where the meat of this game is. I guess maybe the first couple hours, like Jeremy mentioned, this is a pretty short game. For an RPG, you can finish this and do almost everything in under 20 hours, but it takes probably two or three hours to get to where this game really makes itself stand out mechanically against other RPGs. Yeah, um, I, you, you mentioned um, how how some of the real lookers back in the day have not aged that well. Uh, but this this game is beautiful, and probably because it did, you know, have that that sixteen bit aesthetic to it. It reminds me, I I just got done playing Sea of Stars recently. Uh, it, it, you know, definitely um, very reminiscent of that. It has that that sixteen bit look to it that I that I love. So yeah, this this was definitely uh, aesthetically. A lot more visually pleasing than even going back to like a Final Fantasy VII or something else from from that 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 early PlayStation time, which which we have said many a time may be one of the uh, times that has aged the worst as we go on. But yeah, it, it was I was kind of glad that it it is kind of just standard. There there wasn't a lot of complexity early on, uh, which which worked for me. Because uh, because some RPGs, even now, even dipping my feet in there, there there's a certain point 
where I don't want to have to do too much and I can get ran off pretty quick. Uh, but this one, yeah. And like Jeremy said, it takes a little bit of time. I mean, it was very much just kind of standard, not much special about it in the early. Go I would say, yeah, probably that, that first couple hours. Um, it's, it's just kind of, okay. Another one of these, um, I will say though, and uh, this was a fear of mine, but it, it turned out to be all right. Big parties on here, like six, six characters you can get. And I was starting to worry because I, I, I one thing I love about now that they're, they're, you know, kind of putting out, um, older RPGs and they put in that times two where you can speed up battles. I, I got to have it now. I'm spoiled. Um, because I hate, you know, select your character, select your, your what you're going to do. The enemy, he does his animation. Then the next guy. On this one, you, you go through, you make your selections, and the attacks happen really rapidly and, and kind of fluidly. And sometimes you'll have guys, you know, attack at the same time, basically. So it, it really streamlines the, the, the turn-based fighting system. And I don't I hadn't seen many games do that to where it's just it's it's not a long process where you're having to watch every single animation and then move on to the next. That that got instant points with me. Me and my cousin were were used to you know just how JRPGs were on the Super NES. You know that everything, nothing really ever looked that great on a on a JRPG on the Super NES, unless it was like Chrono Trigger or you know something like that. Like it was that stuff was a treat compared to what we usually had, which was barely any graphics you know it, you know maybe the battles looked okay but otherwise it was a very plain looking game uh the the appeal was the story and just the sheer amount of time and all getting your characters leveled up and stuff like that that was always the plus side of things to the jrpgs on on 16-bit consoles but like on suikoden at least things looked a little bit better you know this it, it's not quite like what you'd you would get on a 16-bit console. Like the characters are larger, um, you know, especially like the the battle scenes, like the uh, the way the it's kind of like a Suedo 3D or something, um, almost like a Mode 7 kind of thing. And like a lot of the the enemies and stuff have like a lot of animation to them. Like they look decent, and like that was nice. That was nice coming from the Super NES. So it was an upgrade in that area. Uh, and even like the music in this game was really good compared to what you could get on like the, you know, super NES or whatever. So like the, it had those two things going for it immediately. Um, but we didn't really know what else the game had in store as far as like how it wanted you to play. And like you were mentioning, whenever you first started, like it really, it, it kind of just seems like this boring drab, uh, political story. That, that seems seems like it's going to play out, and it's just like, oh, okay, this there ain't too much happening here. But then it actually starts getting getting things going, and the whole process of how the game actually plays out and how it wants you to play it, as far as like getting your party, building this base, fighting these armies and stuff like that, was stuff that we had never played in a 16-bit JRPG before. Like, this was completely new for the most part. You know, I'm sure there, there might have been something comparable that we didn't play or was Japan only. But as far as, like, this kind of... It, it's a more compact JRPG, but there's just... It's, it's more open, maybe, than most. And there's just a lot to do and a lot to find and a lot of things that you can completely miss 
uh, like having an actual map screen for one. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> it all depends on who who's in your party, and I, I think that's probably the biggest thing about this game is actually building your party. Well, it's not just your party. You kind of mentioned it, but after the first you know few hours of this game, uh, your character, uh, the, the son of of the general, will decide to you know join the the. Liberation Army, and in that process, you manage to acquire a base, like a fortress, that's out in the middle of the water. And at that point, everyone you talk to, not everyone you talk to, but when you run around to these different towns or go on missions or go through dungeons, you might find some individuals who might want to join your army. Sometimes it's as simple as just talking to them, and they'll say, recruit them, and they'll say, great, I was looking for somebody to, you know, way to fight against the Empire, Mm -hmm. and they join your team. They don't immediately jump into your party. They will be back at your fortress. Some of those people can be used as fighters in your army, like, directly, and some of those people have side functions. You mentioned uh, getting a map. You can find a guy who wants to be a a world's greatest map maker, and so once you have him in your party, you can hit select, and you'll see a map of of the world or whatever. Or not, I'm sorry. When you have in your party, you see a mini-map in the corner that shows you where you are. Um, mm-hmm. You can find people that do things that are purely cosmetic that have nothing to do with the game itself. There's a painter, and as you find different color of paints, he makes this little screen thing that's actually the, the Japanese cover of the, of the game. It's a, a pretty nice graphic. You can find somebody who lets you change the sound of the windows when you click the windows in the menus. Like, it's, <laughs> it's all these little side things you do, but, but for the most part, you're getting people to make your army larger and larger and larger and give you more powers. Um, Aside from just picking who's in your party, and, and I do want to get back to, to that in a second, the other big thing that happens when you first get this fortress is you are introduced to the large-scale battles. And this was at first what I thought I was going to be overwhelmed with because it looks like it switches mm-hmm. to a more traditional, it, it, not a more traditional like battle game, like a war game, but it, it kind of switches from what that combat is, which is the regular RPG combat you're having normally where it goes to another screen, you see enemies on one side, you see your guys on the right side, you hit fight and you, you know do turn-based combat, to this thing where instead it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to charge? Do you want to use your bow? Do you want to use magic? And you're fighting against another army. And it's almost like a game of paper, rock, scissors, where charge mm-hmm. will defeat bows, and bows will defeat magic, and magic defeats charges. And so you have to either get lucky uh, at the first couple battles to figure out how to do this, or depending on these characters you found that will join your army, some of them will give you the ability to uh, kind of sneak on the enemy's side for a second, and they'll come back and report they they believe that the enemy is going to do a charge attack or something. And that lets you decide how you want to want to respond. At first, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be way too much. If I have to do a lot of these large-scale battles yeah. and the RPG part's done, I don't know if I'm going to like this. But instead, knowing that it is basically paper, rock, scissors, and you do, if you explore and take your time, you will get people that help you make that decision and give you inf- information so you win those games more often than not. Uh, that I liked a lot. So the large-scale battles, I, I enjoyed immensely because it's it all pushes the story forward, and it's not... It's not randomized. You're not doing as many, you know, large-scale combat. I think there's maybe, what, six, seven in the game total. But it's cool mm-hmm. that they're there, and it does bring back these other side characters that you were out earlier that you may not be using in your party, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, great, I forgot. I, I found two, you know, thieves that I don't really really like using in my party because they're not strong, but they're great to go on the other side and find out what they're going to do for the next move. It's, it's real cool little things you can do in what looks like at first it's going to become more of a meaty, uh, war game, but instead it's it's really just paper, rock, scissors, uh, but very neat. Yeah, uh, this was well, we've had paper, rock, scissors on here before um, in another game. This one's much more enjoyable. This one is uh, it, it's a lot more fair to yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is a lot of guesswork. I, I don't think I had anybody to help uh, you know, predict the, the other side's moves until uh, much later on. Uh, but yeah, I was, it was a little turned off when I first saw it. Cause I, I thought you see that screen and you think you're going into like full blown real time strategy mode and there's going to be a lot more involved, but no, it's, they, they 
keep it pretty simple. Uh, it's another instance where I thought something from this was, was going to be very off-putting, but they, they found a really, uh, really handy way to do it. That uh, it, it, it's, it's pretty painless, and it's actually fun to get through, and it is nice to, to you know, see what else you can do, because that, that first time you go into it, I, I, I imagine, I don't know if I just wasn't well-prepared, but I, I just went in completely blind and was, was just really guessing and, and kind of got lucky. So it's nice to see how uh, it advances over time with whoever's in your party and, you know, what, what extra tactics open up for you. I think it helps that the game isn't very hard. It's a little bit harder than, than what you'd usually have. But for the most part, like, you can just kind of blow through this game. Like, it is not a hard JRPG at all. Um, but yeah, like, the, the whole strategy element of these giant battles, you know, this if you're going into this thinking this is like Romance of the Three Kingdoms, it, it is not. Uh, this is literally just kind of a, a rock, paper, scissor thing. And it is neat that there are things that you can do, like, uh, you know, you can use your spy to go over and, and try to predict mm -hmm. moves and, and little things like that that mix it up. But otherwise, I don't think these are the selling points to this game that it seemed like the, the magazines and stuff was trying to make out to be the selling points back in the day. You know, they were mm -hmm. like, oh, you fight these grand battles and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then when we played it, we were like, this is it? Like, there was, there's not much to them. And overall, I mean, there's not that many in the game to begin with. So it's like when they come up, they're like a nice diversion. But, you know, beyond that, like, they're, they're not really that impressive. Now, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have predicted that this was a, like a selling point. It felt just like a, like a little mini game more than anything. Well, I, I think it was. I do remember this being something that was mm -hmm. focused on because it is different, right? Not a lot of other games have this oh, yeah. feature and it does push the story forward. Like towards the end of the game, the, the cycle is, you know, you go out and you do your normal JRPG exploration and they give you, you know, a, a mission to go, go, you know, go in and into this castle and try to open this gate for us. And then you, then you have one of these large scale battles and then it gets to where you've now raided the castle and you do like a one-on-one -on -one uh, fight against uh, the the leader. It's not all the time this happens, and that's actually even less frequent mm -hmm. than the, the big battles, because sometimes you don't have to do this. But the one-on-one -on -one battles, where it's just your character or one of the characters in your party versus the boss, is another Paper Rock Scissors that is... I, I don't like this part of the game too much, only because it's really hard to tell what they're going to do. It is really Paper Rock Scissors. Mm -hmm. They do say things, but until you've played it a bunch against those fights and know what those things they're saying mean, it may not be as obvious. In that case, instead of having the ability to charge... Uh, use bows or magic it is attack defend or desperate attack and in this case attack beats defend defend beats desperate attack and desperate attack beats attack but if you haven't leveled up the character that's in this fight if you haven't given them the right gear uh, and made sure they're prepped to go they may die in one or two hits in these fights and in some cases you can permanently lose characters uh, that will be out of your party forever like death in this game isn't permanent for the most part if you're just out playing the jrpg version uh, of this where you're wandering around and you have your party of up to six people and even your main character dies, he'll die in combat. After combat, he essentially comes back with a, just a healing potion. You don't need to do anything else. If you have a healing salve or whatever they're supposed to be, um, you, you can immediately heal your character back up. There's no resurrection fee. There's no going back to a, a special building. It's just, you know, out in the field, you die, no big deal. At the end of combat, give yourself a health potion. You come right back up and continue on your way. Um, I think that's great, uh, but, but there are ways to permanently lose characters. Uh, one is in, the, in those scenes, the dual scenes, you can permanently lose a character or two. Um, and then in those large scale battles, like we mentioned, if you poorly choose, uh, like say you want to charge, you have to pick which of your team is going to charge, not one person, but there'll be a group like, oh, these are the knights, like, 
uh, of whatever. And these are the sailors or whatever. Like all these groups you find will kind of match together in groups and you have to send which one out. You can permanently lose a member then. You'll do an attack, you'll say charge, and all of a sudden they use magic. You'll see their magic destroy your charging troops and then one of the characters you've earned will come and be like, oh, I've, I've had it, it's the end for me. And that person's dead forever. You have to reload the game to whatever your last save spot is, which hopefully is right before this combat, or just you've lost that character forever. That's a big deal because there are uh, there are 108 characters you can recruit to your oh. fortress. And to get the best ending in the game, you need to have all 108 at the very end of the game. There is, It's really easy if you don't know that going in. And I think it's kind of broadcast everywhere. You don't want to lose anybody. That's a pretty standard <laughs> JRPG thing. But still, like if you don't get to the very end, you haven't found all these characters, and there's some that are fairly tough to find, um, you, you will still beat the game, but you just won't get the best possible ending. Uh, and And... Let's be honest, when you're playing a JRPG, that's your goal, is to get the best possible ending, especially mm-hmm. something like this. And again, it's a short enough game. I, I was able to go out, find all these characters. I only had to look in a guide to find a handful of them. Uh, and even those, I felt stupid after I looked up most of them. There were only one or two that were really like, how would you ever figure this out? Why would you think to do this? Um, to find all 108. But if you let them die accidentally in one of those large battles, or if you do uh, fail some of the duels that are story-driven, that you can still move the game forward but lose a character, uh, you won't get that best ending. And that's... You know, that, that's something else I really liked was the ability to find all these characters and hunt them all down, knowing that they all do something. Maybe it's just to have a, a fight for these large-scale battles that you barely use a character, but it makes that one group a little stronger. Or it's things like those background areas, doing the painting, or um, having the ability in your base to buy every item you found or do all the weapons and armor you found. Uh, identify items, because that's something else you can you can find, like these, you know, question mark relics, and they just identify them and pretty much just... You can sell them. You can get a lot of money for them, sell them, or you can decorate your bathhouse in your base. <laughs> Another thing you can get if you get a guy who builds a bathhouse. Literally does nothing for you, but lets you see your characters laying in a bathhouse with all the relics you've uh, identified and stuck up there. Like, there's all these little side things you can do that you don't have to, but the core of this game really is going out, find all these 108 characters while finishing this story. And again, it's short. You could probably blow through this game Without worrying about that, if you didn't care, if you knew exactly where everybody was, you could probably finish this game in 10 hours. Um, my playthrough on this time was 22, and that's because I was doing everything I possibly could, and there's still a few things I didn't do. I didn't finish that painting. Apparently, you can make a stained glass window. I didn't mess with that yet. There's a lot of little things you can do that don't affect the game at all, but if you want to be a completist, there's a lot of extra little things you can do. I will say, like, the, there is a, a downside to having that many different characters that you can find. Uh, it, it's that... I didn't really use many besides the people that mm-hmm. I had kind of gotten used to using. You know, I had my main party of people that I really liked. And then maybe I'd have like, because you can have like a party of six people, which is nice, uh, especially for as many characters that are in this game. And then I'd have maybe one or two slots that I'd rotate in and out of like new characters to see how they are. Because getting these fuckers equipped is the biggest pain <laughs> in the ass. God. It, this is not a system that for as many characters that you can find it does the way the equipping system and buying items and things like that work is not well done for having this many characters and that's why i kind of stuck with a main group because like if i was switching characters in and out constantly going into that menu and switching things around and making sure the people are equipped and you know that they're what they're supposed to have it's just it's a pain in the ass and I, I wish they had done something a little bit better to make putting equipment or, you know, just auto-equipping something to, to somebody mm-hmm. and, and making it work out. You know, that would have gone so much further as far as, like, making me want to experiment with these guys 
but as it stood, like I like I said, I just had those one or two slots where I was like, okay, what's this guy do? He looks cool. I want to see what he does. Yeah. But it, but it wasn't worth switching out an entire party for. You know, it, it that that's probably my my biggest complaint about this game. Even back then, I remember that. And I'm going to second that as far as the biggest complaint. It is, in fact, my biggest one. Uh, I I I, got, I felt like I spent more time on the inventory screen than I was most battles. Um, it is it is not as much as I have praised them for for you know kind of streamlining the battles and and the the, the large large scale battles. Um, yeah, the, the 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 kind of duel system where you know you I, I never got that down. I, I I could never just put together based on what the other character is saying. What what attack or, or do I defend? Or I, I lucked my way through. All of those, there was a lot of trial and error. But this, I, the inventory system here is just, it's its its rough. Especially when you're dealing. Six people in a party is great. And I, I it, it's really helpful in the battles. I, I think that's maybe part of what makes this one a, a, a little bit on the easier end. Is you, you've got a lot of manpower there. Um, just <sighs> dealing with the inventory and, and, and swapping things around. And yes, anytime you bring new characters in, I... I'm pretty loyal to the you know the, the first handful of characters I really got comfortable with, and I also would usually just based on appearance. Like Jeremy was saying, this this guy looks cool. Let's let's see what he can do. Um, but otherwise, that was that was a, a kind of a deterrent for me as far as really getting down deep and experimenting with characters and and like having a whole new party or having the majority of them instead of just you know like one or two guys and put somebody in and, and then you're like oh shit if i take him out i'm gonna have to do all this again uh, the inventory management is is a, a, a rare misstep in this game that that kind of subverted my expectations on the other stuff that i thought was going to be cumbersome yeah that was cc thunder's biggest complaint as well was the inventory management because it's uh, to talk about each character so each character has their own stats. It's not that they level up altogether, which a lot of RPGs do when you have like eight characters, right? They kind of level up in the background. Mm -hmm. Maybe not as much as everyone that's busy, but, uh, but, but the people that are even back at the fortress, not in this game. They say at the original level they're at when you get them, some of those characters you may need to use later on in the game. Uh, and it forces you to change characters a little bit, but not nearly as much. You don't have to use, you probably have to use, what, 15 to 20 characters by the story that it makes you use out of the 108 that you have at your fortress. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you'll get to a lot of characters that if, if it is a story-driven point. So when you first start the game, you have yourself, obviously, uh, and then four people that are with your, like on the first mission with you. You have uh, Gremio, who's kind of this, this axe-wielding, um, kind of your caretaker. I helped raise you and stuff, and now is like you, you know, is out there to make sure it's still protecting you. Pawn, who's kind of this, it looks like a martial artist sort of person that is uh, one of your father's most trusted guards, so he's going to go out and guard you as well. Cleo, who's also like a magician that comes with you, and Ted, who's like somehow like a household servant that's going to follow you as well. It turns out Ted's kind of the key to starting the story off because he is. Uh, turns out he's really 300 years old, and he has one of these magical runes that is attached to his body, which we're going to talk about the runes in this description mm -hmm. of the characters. But every time I would go back to using those characters, I, I stayed with Cleo the whole way through. The magician was in my party every time she could be. There's only yeah. a few moments yeah. where she couldn't be. Um, Gremio, at a certain point, has to leave your party and will will not be back for quite a long time, most likely. Um, Pawn, though, 
leaves your party because he's like, I can't turn against the Emperor. And then he does come back and help you later on. But because I had already gotten used to these other party members, I was already, you know, geared up. I had their magic set as I wanted to. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't use him very much. Mm -hmm. And then there's a section where you have to use him. And he has to have one of those one-on-one battles. And if you don't have him leveled up, Mm -hmm. and if you don't give him the right gear, he can't possibly win, and he will die forever. So that's a slight spoiler, but at the same time, this game is 30 years old. So uh, <laughs> the the uh, each character levels up by, you know, getting experience in combat, which that's pretty standard RPG. After you get 100 experience on your character, it levels up. And then as you're killing these monsters, you get less and less experience for each one uh, until eventually you get like five experience tops for, for killing each one to grind if you want to do that. The game doesn't really require you to grind too much, but it also means that if you bring in a, lo- a lower level character, let's say your character is level 50, and you're like, you know what? I never used these two fishermen that I've got. I've got. I, I'd like to use them just to see what they do. And they're level five and ten. You'll kill one monster, and you'll see their level will shoot up from level five to like twenty. Like they level very quickly to catch up. So it does. It does kind of make that easier. But so uh, each character has their own level based on experience, and you have to actually use them again. It does kind of make that balance okay once you use them again. But it means you do have to spend you know, a few minutes leveling up each person, a few fights, probably half an hour to gear a guy from first to 50th if you're at the end of the game. Um, They also have weapons. Now, unlike most RPGs, you don't buy new weapons in this game. The character's weapon they have is the weapon of choice they want to use. They never change that weapon, but instead you find weapon sharpeners. You give them so much money and they will uh, sharpen that weapon up to level, I think up to 16 or 17 is the top level. Uh, it gets very, very expensive, but there's no reason not to lo- to sharpen them. It's not like they ever change uh, in a negative fashion. They do more damage, period. That's it. Always sharpen your weapon as much as you can. But again, each character has their own weapon sharpening. So there are some characters that will still have a level one weapon at the very end of the game because you never use them and who cares? And, and maybe that affects your overall army, but I'll be honest, uh, kind of like Jeremy mentioned, this is not a difficult RPG. So as long as you're sharpening up the people's weapons that you're using, you're probably fine. Um, the other thing you can do is gearing up your character. Each character has up to five items they can equip. Some characters can use a shield, which is that fifth item. Most characters cannot. But otherwise you get to a helmet, armor, and then two optional items, which are things like gloves or shoes or a pendant or whatever that do different amounts of defense. So you not only have to make sure you're sharpening that character's weapon, using them in combat to level them up, but you have to constantly upgrade their gear uh, by buying new gear or finding new gear in the few dungeons that are in this game. For the most part, you're going to go to stores, buy the best gear you can for your characters, because you'll have ample money if you're taking your time uh, to buy everyone the most current gear. But that also means that each character has an inventory. Unlike having a group inventory, like most RPGs uh, we've gotten used to, this is one where each character has their own individual 10-slot inventory. So if they have five equipped items, that's half of their inventory that's filled up. And so if they're going to have a potion that they can use, if they're going to have an item they're carrying back to the base, if they have a quest item, if they have anything else, it has to take up one of those other slots. Which means, out of your party of six people, if they all have four or five items equipped, it means you can only carry an additional what, five or six items per person. So let's say 30 items total. When everyone has a healing item, at least one or two, because that's always safe, plus antidotes, because you always want antidotes, plus a needle so you can get rid of this balloon status effect. There's only a few status effects, but they're all terrible in this game. It means that your guys are already swamped with just their equipment and some basic supplies that you're constantly out of space. So not only are you constantly worried when you're out in the field that you're going to run out of space because you have to then swap items out or throw items in the trash or whatever if you don't want, you know, if you want to pick up the next item you find, each person's inventory stays with them until you have them back in your party to move things out. So since you have 108 people and they're constantly swapping around who you're going to use or not, there were items that I knew I picked up. I just didn't remember who had them. So I had to go back into my fortress and manually keep switching my party over and over again to find the person who had 
the green paint or whatever the item is that I wasn't having in my inventory. Because just having it in your character's inventory doesn't make whatever the thing to upgrade at your fortress happens. You have to actually have it on a character and talk to a certain person to make those effects occur. So it became a lot of, especially towards the end, I was just, I would spend an hour just going through characters that I knew I had used, make them go back in my party, look at their inventory, throw a bunch of stuff in this bank you have, uh, and hopefully, you know, remember that I'd go back and check that bank to get everything out. It was, it was a lot. I, I, the inventory in this game is, is hands down the worst part of this game, and it's not unbearable by any means, but it's definitely... If they would have just made it so everything, once you took a character out of your party, reset into the bank, that would have solved all my problems. I could have dealt with the fact that I only had a limited space in the field. I actually kind of like that in some bizarre way, but I I hated, absolutely hated having to pull stuff back, especially when the story would make it so a character leaves your party and leaves your group for a while, because there are definitely spots where they just they have to go off on another side mission. They're like, oh, I'll meet you back later on, and like two story beats later, a person comes back. Anything in their inventory is gone. You cannot access it. It is lost until they come back in. Uh, that's really, really irritating. There was nothing I found where it stopped the story. There were no quest items that were lost forever, but there were definitely upgrade items for my base that I could not get until I moved the story a little farther because I accidentally gave it to, you know, a guy who ran off to do a side mission without telling me, oh, f don't forget to take this paint with you. It, it's like they went out of their way to make this, you know, to, to have all these really cool characters and, you know, their own unique stories. And then just to make them the absolute biggest pain in the ass to ap actually want to use them. And, and I, it, it, I am the biggest inventory whore in the world. Like, I love inventory oh, yeah. management. Like, I could sit and play D Divinity 2 or Baldur's Gate and just sit there and move things around in the inventories and, and enjoy myself. But this one, it, it's just not a fun process. It is, it's not just dragging and dropping things around. It's using a... a very ancient style of, of console inventory where you have to go through each of these screens and each of these, all of these different uh, selections and this and that and this and putting one to the other and then backing out and doing it all again. It is not an enjoyable process at all. But, you know, I, I'm glad that the, thankfully the rest of the game makes up for it for the most part. And really, if you just stick with your original party, I know that's not the optimal way, but that is probably the best way of not having to deal with all of this stuff. There are some characters that I think are worth having in your party once you find them. Uh, but man, it, it, it's just such a pain in the ass for the, for the most part. Well, it's worth changing out because each character can have one rune that you assign to them. So the magic in this game is done mm -hmm. by runes. You have to either find them or buy them, or some characters have ones they already come with, and some characters have runes you can't remove, so they're always going to have the runes. Your character specifically gets a rune early on that they can never remove, and so they always have this one rune, and they're the only character who has that rune. Um, but you'll find, you know, fire, water, thunder, earth, spells, but the only way to cast them is to find a crystal for that element and attach that to the character, which gives them that rune. So they'll have the fire rune or the water rune. There's a bunch of other special runes that may not actually give you magic, but give you... Um, the ability to jump into combat uh, and, and do extra damage and then they're stunned for a turn, right? Or there's some that give you a better crit rate or there's some that give you a better item find rate. Like there's all these runes you can install to each character. So there's also a benefit to having maybe 10 to 15 characters you cycle through that have these different runes. If you're really going to try to to min-max and find you know everything you can or if you know, hey, this, this boss specifically is uh, really hurt by lightning. So maybe have three lightning member parties instead of having to constantly switch the runes back and forth because you can do that. Uh, each character has their own number of spells they can cast depending on their magic stats um, and each 
rune has up to four levels of that magic. So there are some characters that you can give a rune to and they won't actually be able to cast any magic because they don't have that ability. And there's, a, you know, that same exact rune you can put on another character and all of a sudden they're able to cast, you know, eight of the first level spell and five of the second level spell and three of the third level spell that do single or area effect damage or healing, uh, all the different effects you'd expect to find in magic. In this game, instead of being spells you learn out in the field, it's find the rune and then match it to a character that can cast a bunch of spells and see which ones work better for them. It, it, the other thing I really liked that I 100% did not do enough of, and I kind of found it by mistake, is I mentioned earlier that Unite Command. And early on, you find this fisherman and his buddy that will come help you on one specific mission where you have to go get a boat. And when you use them in combat and you hit the Unite button, it basically says, oh, you want to use the fishermen together. And they have one attack where they like both joint attack the enemies. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And a lot of these groups, if you find them where they make sense that they would be good together or, or maybe you met them at the same time, uh, for example, you can uh, get a whole bunch of these weapon sharpener blacksmiths to join you in your fortress. And then if you have all of them, as many of them as you want to join you, they will do group attacks where all the blacksmiths attack one character and they will do, you know, individually they do 75, 80 damage against a regular monster. But their united attack, which takes all four of them, may do a thousand. Like there's a lot of these really cool united attacks that do a lot more if you take your time to learn them. But nothing in the game, for the most part, forces you to make that decision. You have to decide to experiment and see what you need to do. And I think because this is so easy and the, and while there is a lot of side side items to find and little collectibles and people to, to go out and hunt down, there isn't a ton of optional content necessarily, right? There's not a lot of optional dungeons. There's not a lot of out-of-the-way things to explore and find. If it's on the map, you're probably going to need to go there for this adventure. So there's not really a reason to do that experimentation. Once you kind of got a good party down where you know, okay, these guys I have in the front row because they have strong armor, and in the front you get hit more often. Uh, in the back row I have my casters, and you know maybe this guy that can throw, uh, throw spears, but he's also got a, a rune that lets him dive forward and hit three people or something. Like You have a, a core group you're going to use, except for when the game makes you change, uh, just by the nature of how you play these games. I don't know anyone that wouldn't, but if you are a person that wants to experiment with all these characters there are some really neat combos that unite combo or that unite command uses and i definitely didn't use it enough uh, i am hoping that future versions of this game have that and maybe give you a little more uh, insight into when to use them and why yeah because you know it's kind of like we're playing final fantasy 7 remake and mm. i've mentioned a few times in the chat where like the first time that i played through this game i i just kind of button mashed my way through it but, mm -hmm. you know, when playing it for a second time, there's like all this shit that I never really bothered to use yeah. or anything. And it, it's perfectly playable as a button masher if you want to on the normal difficulty. Uh, I have been told that the harder difficulty makes you actually use a lot of this stuff. But, you know, if unless you want to do a lot of this stuff, then you're, it's just kind of there. You know, you don't really know about it. The game doesn't make you do it. And that's kind of the way Swakoden is. It's... Mm -hmm unless you really go out of your way to want to find all of these different things that you can do and in, in these party combinations and stuff like that, like it's really cool that it's in there, but there's no reason to do it. And the game gives you no reason to do it. So uh, it, it's just one of those things where it's, it, it's neat to be in there, but I wish the game gave you more reasons to experiment and, and find these combinations, even if it was just a goddamn like boss rush or something, you know, or a mm -hmm. temple or whatever you have to go through. And there's different enemies that you, you have to have certain combinations of party members for that would be fun, but there's not even really anything like that in the game. So it yeah. just really makes, makes it feel like all of these other party members are just 
there for window dressing unless you really want to get into it. I, it's I, I can appreciate it because it's just I I hardly experimented um, at all. Yeah, with these these combinations and it is neat. It's there. Uh, it's like Jeremy saying it. They don't really give you much reason, at least that I'm I'm aware of to to, to you know try all these different combinations and try everybody out and and see what works. Uh, which, but it's, it's there and it's nice. And I guess, you know, if you were are super into this game and you're going to replay it, at least you, you can kind of get a, a fresh game or a fresh approach, um, many, many times over by just, you know, running different combinations and whatnot. Um, but yeah, there's, there's not a lot of reason for that. And it's such a massive roster of characters uh, yeah you think they would have forced their hand on you at some point and said hey you need these guys or hey this would be a lot easier if you, you put this team out there but they don't really um i you know using the same handful of folks the majority of the time i, I, I roughly i think i'm about three-fourths of the way through the game and i I've seen no reason to, to really get crazy and change things up. And, you know, and, and part of it is, for, you know, for the whole inventory's sake, like we talked about earlier. But at the same time, when you get a team that works decently, I don't know. There, there's That part just doesn't appeal to me. I, I'm the same one that, you know, with the, with the Pokemon games, I'll get my team and everybody else goes in the bank. Nobody else is coming out. I've got a team that works. I'm I'm not experimenting otherwise, uh, but it it does seem like one of those. And Final Fantasy VII Remake is a good one that you know I just went through, and turns out I didn't take advantage of half the stuff I could have, or or kind of more intricate systems in it. I just I just went in there swinging, and hey, that worked for me. So I didn't I didn't see the need in doing anything else. And it is kind of the same here. It's it's really neat. It's there. I mean, if you really want to nerd out on this game and, and play through several times over and try out different combinations, um, there's a lot there for you. And, and it's great they put it in there, but that is just not something that, that appeals to me. The reason I wanted to get more party members was not to add them to my party, but just to see what they do in the castle. Yeah, mm. I wanted to see yeah. if they do something cool in the castle. And that mm. was really it. You want that bathroom renovation, don't you? Yeah, like I wanted whatever they could do. Like, I thought, like, the stuff they did in the castle was cooler than having them in the party. Like, if they oh, maybe yeah. would have stuck with that, like, you know, all these little mm -hmm. things that they do and at your base or whatever, that's neat. Building your base mm -hmm. is the funnest part of this entire game for me. Yes. And it's really not in important whatsoever. <laughs> so, like, that's <laughs> that's the bad thing about it. You know, this is still just a JRPG at its core, but this base building aspect was such a cool addition and very it was not a thing back in the day, let me tell you. No. Like having your base and, and having it populated with these people and just, it was like you were building your own JRPG town. You know, they'd mm -hmm. stand around, you can talk to them, they'll do weird shit, you know. And I thought like being able, like Jeremy mentioned, having different sound effects and, and stuff like that was, was super fucking cool, just depending mm -hmm. on who you would find. Like that, that to me was the main appeal of, uh, to finding all of these, these characters. Well, the other part is to have a base that's functional, right? You get a, a mirror. Well, I guess you don't have to. I, I, I don't know if that's an optional find or not, but you find a person that gives you this magical mirror that lets you teleport yourself back mm -hmm. to your base at almost any point in the game. And then you can then use that same per a, a different person to teleport you to any place you've been to already. So there are, once you find these other people out in the in the world to be 
uh, an item store and the the master salesman for your armor and, and the, the sharpeners. There's a bunch of different blacksmiths you can get, identifiers, like all the stuff you'd normally have to be like, I have to remember that there's not a place to attach crystals except for these three towns. No, you have someone at your own base that can do that. So you just go back to your base and take care of all your upgrading needs uh, until you, you know, once you find a new city, sure, you go to each town, you go to each, you know, item store and the, and the shop store and everything else to put shop. Sorry again item store and the weapon store, everything else to make sure you've got all the gear you could get, but then they all automatically can be sold back at your town. So it's worth it to have your fortress uh, as built as you want. Really, the the key, though, is to get those 108 different people to join you, not lose any of them on the way, and get to the end of the game where you get to finish the game. Now, this uh, is is the only game I know of that does necessarily this. I know old PC games do this a lot where you like you finish the first wizardry and you can import your party into wizardry too. Bard's Tale did it like that's a Ooh. very old PC thing. But this game is neat because at the end of this game, at the very last save spot you get, um, if you bought Suicoden 2, which came out a couple years later, you could import the characters from that, which will sometimes change what they start with. Um, it doesn't change the game necessarily, but it's neat to, to have some stuff roll over some stats, some certain items that you wouldn't have in the game otherwise unless you played the first one. There's a lot of neat little things you can do if you finish the first game with all 108, get to the end, make a save file, and import it into Suicoden 2. Um, th- th- yeah, th- this game on its own is very short. I have not played Suicoden 2. I do have it, and I'm going to start it as soon as this podcast is over because I've really enjoyed playing this. Um, I think if you are looking for to, to try to find some good PlayStation RPGs, at least this game and the second game, according to CC Thunder, are are his favorites as a group. Like, you play them back-to-back, mm-hmm. have that save file to transfer through. The two of them together are his favorite JRPGs. Now, have you guys played... I know that uh, if you haven't played the first one, I'm assuming you haven't played some later in the series, Billy, but did you guys play anything after the first week, Odin? No, I, I, I'm still... I, I'm st- I am going to finish this one up. Uh, like I said, I think I'm about a third of the way through. I, I'm definitely going to play through this one. I, I don't know... Um, you know, I, 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 I'm warming up to it as I was playing along. I don't know if it's going to be one of those. I'm enjoying it. I'm, I really am. I, you know, the, the complaints have been very small in this. Um, and, and fuck, if it's not nice to listen to, there's almost some car-worthy shit in this game. Car-listing-worthy stuff. But uh, no, I, I'm definitely going to finish this one. I might pick up to later on it, it's i'm, I'm dead i don't have the enthusiasm that you do where i you know i'm gonna go from one to the other but no it's I, i've enjoyed playing this one not sure if it has has sold me on on continuing the journey after that do, do these have fishing in them there's fishermen this first one no i will find out if the second one does and maybe jeremy's okay. played the later ones to let us know because because damn it I'll, i'm gonna tell you how excited i was <laughs> for a brief moment uh, but no, I, I just I want to make sure I didn't miss out on something. No, I actually didn't play Swagoden 2 for some reason. And and me and my cousin were huge fans of just about any sort of JRPG that came out. So I'm not sure. Maybe we were playing something else at the time. But we just, I, I never got around to buying it. And I really don't know why. Because we really liked this first one. I don't know if I just never saw it at GameStop or Babbage's or whatever. Mm. But, you know, as, as it was, like, I, I remember it later on, like being like, Oh, there's Swakoden too. You know, like I'd see it kind of like on, on, you know, in, in the past after, you know, I bought like the PlayStation two or something like that. But yeah, just never got around to playing Swakoden two when it came out. 
Yeah, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. I did download that with the rest of the with the, the, the other PlayStation Classic games I got for the Vita. So it's on my my key. And, and everybody that I've talked with that likes We Code and loves these first two, and then no one really talks about the others. So. Again, Suikoden 2 came out in 1998, 1999. Uh, then Suikoden 3 came out for the PlayStation 2 in 2002. Apparently, this was a drastic change in how the game plays uh, to, to where a lot of people did not care for it. Again, I have not played it, so I can't put a lot of insight into that. But uh, even CC Thunder was like, yeah, the first two are great, and then maybe it's just not as good. Uh, Suikoden 4 came out in 2004, also for the PS2. Suikoden 5 came out in 2006, also for the PS2. In the middle there, there were some games that were only out in Japan. They had a card game and... Uh, like vir- visual novels. Uh, there was a, a game called Suikoden Tactics that came out that takes place on the, between the events, like around the events of Suikoden 4, but uh, kind of before and after. Um, I've heard that's okay, but I haven't tried it. And then the last game that came out in the series so far was for the Nintendo DS, Suikoden mm. Tear Chris, which I'm sure I'm saying 100% wrong, which came out in 2008, 2009. Um, I read some stuff on it. Apparently, it's just a very standard JRPG that doesn't do a lot of the things we talked about that we liked in this. Um, but that said, I haven't tried any of them, and I really did like this one, so I'm going to give the second one 100% a shot and then see where I go from there. Um, so if you can't find the original play, uh, Sweet Coden or Sweet Coden 2, because I believe Sweet Coden 2 goes for a little bit if you try to buy a copy, um, it was supposed to come out last year, but it did not make it. It's got kind of an un, undated delay. Sweet Coden 1 and 2 HD remaster are coming out for pretty much everything. Uh, hopefully this year at some point. Um, I'm not sure. They, they don't have a read, uh, like a new date for it, but it was one of those things delayed at the last minute, so I'm sure it can't be too much longer. Uh, and I highly recommend checking it out. I don't know how much it's going to be, but... Unless it's like 100 bucks to play both games. 100, it's 100% worth your time. The first game on its own, uh, a great game. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm definitely going to check out the second one. that's our thoughts on Suikoden for the PlayStation uh, and maybe the whole series. We'll find out. Thank you again, CC Thunder, for recommending it. And if you have a game you want to force us to cover, the best way to do that is to join our Patreon. The link is always in the description of this podcast, but you can also find it by going to Retrovania.net. Retrovania.net has everything Retrovania. You can see our social media sites, our YouTube channel, uh, Twitch streams, which we barely do very often, but I'm trying to get back into it. And of course, our Discord. But at the very bottom, behind all that cool stuff, is a question form. And you can put any question you want there, and we'll read it on the show like we're going to do right now. That's right. And we're going to start the day off with Tabasco Joe, and he's writing in about fried potato products. Oh. Hey, guys. Thanks for your many years of awesome content. My wife and I have been have a running disagreement that I think you and your expertise in fried foods can speak to. I believe crinkle-cut fries are the best kind of French fry. My wife is on Team Tater Tots. I can see that tots are indeed rad, but they clearly fall in second place at best. What do you all think? Much love for all you do, Tabasco Joe. No, uh, no, it's crinkle-cut all the way. Um, The others are nice, but I think they're more of a novelty. But no, you got to have just the, the, the old standard. Old standard's always the best. So you are, you are correct in this back and forth. I like a crinkle cut fry. I also like a tater tot. I also like a waffle fry. I also like the curly fries from Arby's. It, really, there's not a bad fry, except for maybe Wendy's. Uh, but I, I like most fries. Uh, I would say, though, if I had to pick, I got to go team tot. I like tater tots. I don't get them very often, and they got to be crispy. You got to make sure that if they're soft, throw that right in the trash. They got to be crispy tots, and then I'm all in. 
I don't get them very often. All Maybe right, that's so why we, I'm going Team Tot, but I'm going Team Tot. So, so we've got the we got the tiebreaker coming in now. I think Jeremy blacked out when I said I was Team Tot. Sorry, I'm here. <laughs> yes, I did actually. No, uh, I, I think I would actually go with uh, Tater Tots. Uh, oh, Team Tot. Uh, I, it's just I'm kind of tired of fries at the moment. Like I, I think we just have a a ton of options of French fries in America without. Mm-hmm. Not too many tater tot options. And anytime that I see a tater tot like on the menu of something that I can get instead of French fries, I will always get tater tots. Um, but this. as far as like French fries go, like I would rather have a steak fry, which is not very common in the US. I did learn that apparently that is all <laughs> any kind of French fry is served over in like England. But like for here, like it's pretty rare to find a good steak fry these days. I think Cracker Barrel is one of the very last places I think that I've seen around that still puts uh, steak fries on their menu. Red Robin will put out a good steak fry. But I do, uh, I have to admit, when you get like fish and chips from someplace that's supposed to be authentic, and I've never been to England, so I have no idea, but they always mm-hmm. have kind of like those slightly curly steak fries. Those are also very, very good. Not tot good, but pretty good. Yeah. I, but yeah, I'm going to go with tater tots. You think you, you think you know a couple of guys. You, I, just, you don't see them too often. And, you know, the, you can kind of do more. There's more to a tater tot. Like, they're they're more topping friendly than what a french fry is to me. Like, you can just okay. put anything on a goddamn tater tot, and it's still going to taste damn good. You're going to still get that potato taste to it. But with a french mm. fry, like, man, it's just whatever you put on a french fry, it just becomes that. That's all it is. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, thanks for writing in Tabasco, Joe. I don't think we did anything to help your argument any. Next question comes in from Bertrand, and he's writing in about your friends' houses. Hey guys, do you have any specific gaming memories, good or bad, from playing games at your friends' houses when you were kids? Thanks for the podcast. I mean, lots. That that was what my friends and I did, and I had friends that that we would know if we went to their house, we're going to play that system because I didn't have it. Like I had a master's mm-hmm. friend. I had, uh, I unfortunately did not have a Neo Geo friend. I wish I would have, but I, there was one kid specifically that was like, he had every system and he said he had a Neo Geo, but then we went to his house. It was quote broken and his dad took it away, but he did have, uh, the turbo graphics with CD and he did have a Sega CD and all these other things. But yes, I remember playing, uh, most of my memories are the people coming to my house uh, and I mean, gaming memories and it's not all I remember, but uh, people coming to my house to play stuff uh, or me going to their house and playing things, you know, all night binges on certain games or we'd rent a game and go there. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. If I had to think of a specific one, and I don't know why this one is the one that popped in my head because it's not, I mean, it's old, but it's not as old as the ones of me as a child playing through these. But uh, one summer, my friend Dylan and I, he basically started playing Final Fantasy 2, and we would go to his house during the day. He would have Final Fantasy on one TV, and in the other room, we would just watch game shows all day, and we would watch game shows while we just grinded on Final Fantasy 2 to get oh. as high as we could possibly for an entire summer. We went to the pool and did that for one entire summer in, like, eighth grade. Uh, <laughs> it was awesome, but at the same time, we had to have had something better to do with our time. No, 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 no way. That's that's the best way you can spend your time. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the same. You know, hey, you had friends that had like this friend has this system, or um, yeah, we we I never had anybody that had any of the more kind of like the Neo Geo things like that. Uh, everybody kind of hovered around. You know, the Super Nintendo and the, and the Genesis, of course. Um, and then you had the friend that was the first to get the PlayStation, and that was a big deal. Uh, it, most of my memories, though, are with, with my uh, my cousin, uh, my favorite as far as places, uh, his grandmother's house, which we we always tried to to go over there. 
Um, but she she was out of town so often, um, you know, that, that it rarely happened. But it was just a great setup. It was it was like a, a big open basement, and we just, we just took a couple of couches that were just being stored down there, pushed those things around a TV hunkered down uh she would go to bed super early and, and and didn't want us to come upstairs because her her bedroom was right by the steps and these were the creakiest steps i've ever heard they're a horror movie uh, level of creaky steps so we would we would just bring down like this this mountain of snacks drinks whatnot to last us for the night and we just we'd just play whatever like san francisco rush is one of the big ones I recall playing endlessly. Uh, we played things in, down there from the NES days on, on through you know the, the PS One and the and the sixty four. I remember pl playing NBA Jam down there, Road Rash Two, uh, just so many games. We would usually try to just focus on one uh, and just you know spend the spend the night playing that one. Uh, those are some of my, uh, my my favorite times as far as you know video game playing with other people. Uh, for me, not so much. Like I, I, I've told stories before about you know going down to my cousin's house during spring break and playing games down there, and 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 that was nice, uh, but nothing too crazy. You know, I never liked him too much anyway, and it, I, I loved going down there, and I got a lot of good memories. But a lot of the the gaming memories I have playing with him was just like, eh, I'd rather be at home playing video games by myself. Um, but as, when I was a kid, like most of the kids around here would come to my house. You know, I, I lived in a pretty poor neighborhood and, you know, they didn't have video game systems or things like that. And I was really about the only one that that actually had. So they would come over here and, and play games. And that was mainly what happened around here. But yeah, I, I just, you know, it. Those I think I made memories for those kids, you know, as far as like getting out and going to their houses, it was never a very good experience. Uh, I always felt bad for what they had to live in. You know, it was usually going in and seeing dried dog turds stuck to the carpet and, and you know, dishes piled up in the in the kitchen and roaches and stuff like that. And I, I so I never really tried to go to their houses very much, you know, and. It just wasn't a good time. So anytime we wanted to play games, I'd like, come on, come on over, man. And, you know, they'd come over here and, and we'd, we'd play some games and, and hang out for a while and stuff like that, especially during like uh, summer break and spring break and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's uh, that's basically what was going on around here. Uh, but, yeah, thanks a lot, Bertrand, for writing in. Next question comes in from Games Are King, and he's writing in about Alan Wake 2. You guys are awesome looking. Wait. He didn't. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Looking forward to 2024. <laughs> oh, what damn! I know that's not. That's and I was already and I was already turning red too. I, you know, it was a hell of a compliment there for a second. But yes, you guys are awesome. Looking forward to 2024. I finished Alan Wake two, and I and all all I can think of is the soundtrack being so good, like Silent Hill three. What's your favorite horror game soundtrack? P.S. It doesn't have to be October for horror games. He's right. Yeah, it, it's either Silent Hill two or three. Um, I, I think two has like some of the more some of the better like atmospheric music to it, but three just has some some jams in it. Maybe a little guitar riff you get in the mall early on, um, which which makes it even worse. The 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 re-release the collection, uh, the, the music in three. 
took a took a dive. But it, it's it's between the two of those. Um, I, I'm gonna have to say though that two gets a it's a slight nod. Uh, I'm hoping that they don't mess with it too much. Um, and you know, in the upcoming upcoming remake of it, just just you know, fancy it up a little bit, but but leave it alone for the most part. I, I thought that one was was perfect. I'm having a problem thinking of soundtracks to horror games. I mean, you have like the theme from Silent Hill 2 and, and the theme from some of these games. That, that That's great. But like while you're playing the game, it's just good atmospheric sound, right? It doesn't something I don't, I'm not going to walk around humming music from, mm, mm. you know, uh, Resident Evil 4, even though I think it sounds great while you're playing it. So unfortunately, the only game that's loosely horror based that I can think of that I will walk around humming songs to for no good reason is Deadly Premonition. I'm using it. Oh, uh, the, the whistling song from Deadly Premonition to some of the other yes. like the bizarre jazz songs in it. All those things are way notable and will be in my head until the day I die. Whether or not you like the game, incredible soundtrack. I would probably have to go with Alan Wake too myself at this point after beating it. And what he's, I, I guess, you know, for anyone that that hasn't played the Alan Wake or Alan Wake Two. It's not necessarily the the music that plays while you're playing, but in the first game, it was episodic in nature. Like you would get to a point mm -hmm. and the chapter would end and the credits would roll and it would be like the end of episode one. And during those credits, it would have like an actual song playing. But those songs back then in that game were actually licensed music. You know, that was stuff you could just find on the radio. In Alan Wake 2, they have actually created an entire soundtrack that sounds like licensed music, but it's all based around what's happened in that chapter. And it's so damn good. It is an amazing soundtrack. And uh, it's on Spotify and stuff like that, so if you want to listen to it, you can. But just incredible music that they made for that. And if you haven't watched or haven't experienced the whole like live musical thing that they did at the Game Awards... Um, that's, that's just a part of it. You know, the, the, the music ranges from, uh, you know, like electronic to rock to whatever that was that was in the live music. Um, but yeah, it, it has really, really good music, but, um, I guess second place for me would be Silent Hill three. I still have that CD and uh, I listen to it occasionally because it is just the most chill ass soundtrack for the scariest game I have ever, ever heard. Um, but yeah, thanks a lot for writing in. Games are king. Next question comes in from the schlong that bent wrong. And oh uh, he's right. 2020. This is more like it. Happy New Year's retro veiny sacks. It's 2024 and what that mouth do. What games are you going to beat and what foods are you going to shit? Here's to a new year of video game adventures. Thanks for all your hard work and ridiculous emails. Oh, well, thank yeah, you. Um, well, they're, they're not our ridiculous emails. <laughs> yeah, we have we have our, our loyal listeners to thank for that. Um, man, it, it does the same thing it did in 2023 and, and all the years before that. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, no, uh, as far as games, I, it, it doesn't look like it's that stacked a year this year. The only thing really big time on my radar, of course, is, you know, the second part of Final Fantasy seven remake uh that's the only, like only big title um i can think of off the top of my head that i'm looking looking forward to and we'll probably just sit down and, and begin working through uh as far as food goes who knows who knows i i'm probably not going to venture much further much different on that either uh i think i'm at an age where i'm i'm, I'm pretty settled in on things 
Yeah, that's a tough call. What games we're going to play, what foods we're going to eat. Uh, so far, the only new thing I've eaten is there's a Raisin Cane's that just opened near me. Never had one of those before. It's fine. It's chicken fingers, mm. fries, mm. crinkle cut fries. Dry. Crinkle Real cut dry. fries. Uh, well, the, the sauce is good. I guess everyone likes the sauce. I agree. Oh, it does make a yeah. difference. Um, so that, that's the only new thing I've eaten uh, that I wouldn't have eaten before this year. And as far as new games I'm looking forward to, yeah, obviously Final Fantasy VII R. Um, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna hold out hope that this Metroid Prime 4 shows up this year. That's my that's the other one oh, I'm looking boy. forward to. Um, I, I'm yeah. sure there's other things coming out that I'm excited about, but I have no idea what they are. I know the next Monster Hunter isn't until 2025, so uh, that won't be this year. I, I the two that's re- that I'm really looking forward to is one after another, and I, we've already got Tekken Eight, and that was my first big one. And Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is is coming at the end of this month, so I'm pretty excited about that. That is my big one for the year. Uh, if there is another one that comes out this year at some point, then one that'll be cool. But that was those two games are the ones that were on my radar as far as like I have to have those games. Um, as far as like wanting to eat anything new, I mean, not really. It's just kind of what I find. I think Seven Eleven has new fried chicken, and I kind of want to try that. Uh. Like it actually seems like it's pretty good. Um, but then I'd actually have to go to a Seven Eleven, and mm-hmm. um, I don't. We don't have too many Seven Elevens around here, which is crazy. We mostly just have bad gas stations. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It's going to be an adventure this year, we'll say. Whatever Taco Bell has on the menu that month is probably the Mm. thing that I'm going to try. So uh, thanks for writing in, Schlong. All right, let's get a few more in here. Next up is from Jonathan L., and he's writing in about weird games as a kid. Greeting Retrovaniacs and Billy. My question is, have you guys ever played a game as a kid and just never understood what to do? I can say that the NES had quite a few that were mind-boggling to a seven-year-old, to say the least. One game that comes to mind was Silent Service. To hell with that shitty game. I haven't played it since, I haven't played it since, and probably should attempt to again, but I know that I won't. Cheers, guys. Um, I, I, not a game where I was just confused, like, by a mechanic or something like that. Um, but I, I think I've mentioned it before, Star Tropics, with the whole, um, if you rented it, you were just shit-ass out because it came packaged um, with something that you would need, a physical item that you would need at a certain point in the game to have a, a frequency to input, uh, to progress. Um, yeah, I, I was stuck on that for a while. I kind of rented it and never got... <laughs> that was That's where it stopped. Uh, spent the, the remainder of the weekend after I hit that point just kind of trying to figure things out, restarted played through up to that point again and that point is is a, a, a bit in um yeah that was that's the main one i can think of where i just i had no clue what to do i don't think I've, I've encountered many where i you know was just clueless as to as to how the thing worked and it, it kind of hampered my ability to progress but but that one in particular um the original metal gear maybe as far as finding my way around uh, I found that one to be a little, little confusing. I was playing that one pretty young, um, but I, that, that's that's about all that that comes to mind. Uh, I had a lot of graphic adventure games, um, like the you know what would become point and click adventures or games that you had to type in what to do, like the Infocom games. There were lots of those that I couldn't figure out, but not that I didn't understand how to play them. Right, I knew how to play them. I just couldn't figure out the puzzles, and this was pre 
you know, game facts and internet to know what to do. So there's loads of those. I would love to go back now. And I have gone back and watched like YouTube videos of people playing through um, a game, for example, it was called Transylvania. It was like it's old graphic adventure where it would draw the map in each screen and then have a text description at the bottom. Uh, I've watched, you know, people play through that just to see how it ends because I never could get through it. Um, but but generally there weren't too many games I, I got and then could not figure out even how to play or how to progress. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is Legacy of the Wizard for the Nintendo. Uh, it's it's a game that was out. I bought it the same time I got Guardian Legend. I think it has an incredible soundtrack, and I could get like I could play it. I could explore it. I understood the mechanics, but actually, like how to get through the game, no clue. You had to have certain characters at certain points and certain screens to get things to occur. I never did figure it out. Um, I'd love to go back now and play it because I I do have I actually still have the card of that one still, and I'd love to get to get back on it. But it's it's mind boggling at the time. I could not figure out what to do with it. I read the manual a million times. Um, I'll, I'll I'd like to try it again without looking up a guide to see if I can figure it out now that I'm an old man. But as a kid, lost. I think I'd have to go with both Uninvited and Shadowgate on the NES. I had never played a PC game up to that point, and both of those games were just basically PC ports onto the NES, and I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I didn't you know what room I should do with all this items and using items and stuff like that. I, as a kid, I just, it was way over my head. And the only reason I actually rented Uninvited first was just because of that box art. Like, it had some of the coolest box art ever. But once I got it home and was playing, I was like, I, I think I made it, like, two hours and accomplished nothing uh, before I just decided not to play that. And then one time when I was in Kentucky on spring break, like I mentioned before, with my cousin, he rented Shadowgate from uh, the video store, which, again, had a pretty cool box art. You know, I had this the demon thing on the front and all that stuff. But I looked on the back and I was like, man, that looks familiar. And sure enough, when we got it back and started playing, I was like, oh God, this is just uninvited again. <laughs> and sure enough, I, maybe he got a little bit further than I could, you know, with finding this shit. But still, even he, he couldn't get very far. So yeah, that's, that's about the, the most clueless I, I can remember being back on the NES. But thanks for writing in, Jonathan L. Next question comes in from Drew C., and he's writing in about PS1 Hidden Gems. Hello, Seaman Grandpa Rangers. What's your favorite hidden gem on the PlayStation 1? A few of mine are Disruptor, Project Overkill, and Car and Driver Presents Grand Tour Racing. Keep it squirting, Rangers. Ooh, keep it squirting. That's nice. I, I, unfortunately, most uh, of my hidden gems for the PlayStation I would have recommended already as episodes. Uh, so there's not too many games I'm thinking of that we haven't covered. Like Skull Monkeys is one I love that a lot of people hadn't played. We covered it here. Um, similar game, uh, Wild Nine is kind of this pretty standardy but but overly violent uh, 2D platformer that looks 3D-ish. Um, but uh, most of the the hidden gems on the PlayStation I think we've covered. I'm trying to think of any others we haven't. Uh, maybe Trap Gunner. I, I don't know. There's not too many that we haven't talked about. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I don't, and I never know when a, a game is <laughs> a hidden gem. Um, I, man, I think we've gotten into a lot of them. There was a, um, oh God, there's a Ghost in the Shell game on PS. That's a pretty mainstream, you know, title. So I don't know if that's quite a hidden gem. Um, it was on the, it was on one of the demo discs. I can't remember if it was magazine demo disc or, or where it came from. And I, I just, I really love Ghost and Shell anyway, and playing through it, it was it was a tough motherfucker, um, but I, I really did enjoy that one, and I, I, I 
don't, there's like maybe one or two other people that played it. So maybe it is a hidden gem. Uh, if I went back and played it, maybe it's, it's garbage now. So it, it, it may not be a gem at all. But that's about all I can think of with PS1. Otherwise, I, you know, things I always think are hidden gems. I find out that they're, you know, everybody's played it before. Um, and yeah, we've gone through a, a lot of them on here. So I, that's that's the one that comes to mind. Uh, you mentioned Project Overkill, and I would totally put that one on there. That's a that's a great little game. Uh, maybe someday we can cover that one. Uh, Skull Monkeys, like Jeremy said, that that's up there. That's one of those games that you mention to somebody, and they're just like, "What?" But it's a really really great platformer, and it, it's just it's hilarious. Um, I guess one that I I don't see ever mentioned anymore for me is Bushido Blade. It was just a weird fighting game from Square that really tried to capture the whole samurai fighting thing. Like, it was one-hit kills, basically. And you just kind of walked around and, you know, it was more about the strategy of, of getting the, your your uh, lunge in, I guess, or your slice or whatever. And if you did it right, you could just end the whole match in, in one slice. And it was great. It was a cool little game. They did do a follow-up to it with Bushido Blade 2, but that was more like an actual fighting game. Uh, but I really liked Bushido Blade. It was it was just cool. Did you ever get a chance? Got, oh, hmm? Did you ever get a chance to play Bushido Blade Linked? It was one of the few no. games that used the link cable, and that was really neat. That was one where you actually could you could hide. Like if you were playing two player on one screen, you couldn't. But if you were like playing Linked, you could literally use some of those maps, and and it was one hit kills. It was a neat game. I, I don't know how well it holds up, but it was cool at the time. It was really cool. And we also covered Incredible Crisis. I would definitely put that yes. on there as as well as just something that. Not too many people played, but it's just a really, really fun experience to to try to get through. I'll be remiss. I just, I, I knew it was a domino. I, no one can stop Mr. Domino. Yeah. I will also toss in. Uh, that was, that was a great, that was a rental just based on the front of it. And there wasn't much else there. And, and loved that game. Was, was able to pick it up um, actually just several years back. And, that that's one that I I've, I have mentioned to to folks here and there, and I don't think anybody outside of my my cousin has uh, has has played it. Just you know, just as far as people I know, so well, it's, it's, had to toss out. Yeah. No one can stop Mr. Domino. A little bit of Retrovaniacs history is the very first game I ever wrote about online way back in mm. the, like 1999 when I was like, I want to start a website where I talk about video games and movies and stuff. Uh, that's no longer mm -hmm. around, thank God. The first thing I ever wrote was No One Can Stop Mr. Domino because it was so I weird know. and bizarre. It was definitely like, yeah. it, it it was a game where you laid out, you had to run through like a circuit dropping dominoes behind your character who was a, a domino himself mm -hmm. and then you run back and hit one domino and it starts this chain effect and if you can do it right, all this crazy stuff happened in the background. Like now it would seem like an indie game and like, oh yeah, everyone has weird games like that. But when it was games you had to buy in a store for real money, there weren't a lot of weird odd games like that. That's the very first game I ever wrote about, and and if it wasn't for that game and writing that, I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast today. I'd like to throw in Heart of Darkness too. That was a that was a oh, really yeah. awesome. Heart of Darkness is cool. If you like Out of This World or Flashback, like Heart of Darkness is is just a really cool game all around. All right, now we're going to end it here with Kenny, and he's writing in to ask: Is Zelda an RPG? Hey guys, I recently discovered the podcast on Spotify. And I'm really enjoying picking random episodes. Initially, I started with games I've played, but now I'm checking out shows about games I have no interest in playing simply because the format is so good. Imagine my luck when I managed to line up the episode where Billy rants about the Switch before release. 
followed by the one where he recommends a switch to a listener. Yeah. Hell followed yeah. by the followed by the one where he mentions he's buying a second one because his first is full of games. The yes. Zelda series is one of my favorites, though, and the Switch is a great place to play a lot of them, Majora's Mask being my favorite. My question is, do you consider Zelda games to be RPGs? Keep up the good work and otherwise. Kenny. I mean, man, it's, you know, action-adventure. If anything, it's rpg light. Um, I, but at that point, like, the things that qualify it as role playing, you're you're playing a role, I guess, but that would be any game then. Then we'd be lumping Mario in, besides Mario RPG, you know, regular side scrolling Mario. But I, it has elements. It's 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 kind of there. Uh, actually, Zelda Two would be probably the closest um, to an RPG. Uh, still, I, I just I can't I can't quite turn the corner on that. Even Breath of the Wild. I don't think has enough of what I would consider RPG elements. Like I almost feel like you gotta get a gotta get a party in there. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say, and I think there's probably people probably could make convincing arguments for the fact that there is, and maybe one of you two have one up your sleeves. I'm gonna say we're still firmly in the action adventure genre with with some light RPG elements. I would have said, if you would have asked me this question 10, 15, 20 years ago, my answer would have been a firm no. No, of course Zelda games aren't RPGs, because RPGs are Final Fantasy. And the RPGs are Dragon Warrior, right? You have, a, you have a party of people, and they have stats, and they level up, and they do whatever. But as RPGs are becoming more live-action, Final Fantasy being, I guess, the, the biggest defender, if you find that an offensive thing, um, but just blending in with what Zelda does, now Zelda's kind of looped in with that i would say that that rpgs are becoming more zelda like so you have to say it's somewhat of an rpg um if you're going to talk about solo i was going to say that's a great argument you're not a party but do you consider skyrim an rpg because i think skyrim's an rpg and you're one character yes you get other people that you can talk with and stuff but you're still one guy by yourself doing the story um you know i think as as rpgs have evolved they're becoming more zelda like so i would have to say that zelda is on the on the fringe but is an rpg uh, has Zelda become an RPG, or have RPGs become like Zelda? The only difference that I can see between something like Breath of the Wild and something like Skyrim is that you don't level up. That's it. You make food, you find clothes, you get new weapons and armor, you get new magic abilities, all the same stuff you do in Skyrim. The only difference is you don't have a level system. That's it. That's all I can... And you don't have any way to customize your character, necessarily. You're just kind of got, got Zelda's abilities. I have taken qualms with Skyrim being an RPG also, though. I I would also say that is light. I don't know. And of course, this opinion is coming from the person that I think at the very start of this one said they're not much for RPGs. (laughs) But um, I I can see it either way. Um, Just personally, I I don't think it is. But yeah, listening to what you're saying, I can see it. I can. I'm just too old to change my ways. I think I'd go with a term that's kind of been lost to time. Uh, it was like back in the day they'd call RPGs that where you could actually directly attack something an action RPG. And so mm-hmm. I wouldn't put that, you know, that's kind of what Zelda is to me. I, action adventure is is pretty close as well, but the action RPG is is probably a, a better fit for it. I wouldn't go all the to me. I wouldn't go all the way RPG with Zelda. It's just. 
it's never fit into that kind of genre for me. I, I, you know, as far as like what I consider an RPG to be, if somebody sat down and was like, man, give me the best RPG that, that you can find, you know, I'd, I'd give them something like Baldur's Gate or something. That's more of an RPG to me. And, you know, Zelda would be more like, man, I just, what's a really good kind of hack and slash RPG? That's Zelda. You know, that's what it's always been. There's more action to it than just, you know, sitting there and trying to figure out what moves you want to do next and managing parties and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I, I would go with action RPG myself. But I think that's going to do it for all the questions this week. Thanks, everyone, for writing in. Yes, it is 2024, and we've got a hell of a lot more coming down the road. A lot of patron picks and a whole lot of mess that whatever else we can figure out to do. So head over to Retrovania.net, scroll all the way down, fill out that question form, and send it in, and we'll get to it eventually. And speaking of getting to it eventually, if you are one of our patrons who's paid to have us cover your game, I know we're behind. We're getting there. We're getting caught up, but there is a lot. It seems like a lot of people joined at the same time, so a lot of people were due uh, January, February. We're trying to get through them all. If you have not heard from me, please check your Patreon messages. I guarantee I've reached out, uh, and if you're waiting to hear back from me, just ping me again. I promise it's on the schedule. We just have a lot to go through, including the next game we're going to cover, which, if you're a big fan of Final Fantasy VII, is probably up your alley, or actually, if you're a fan of Final Fantasy VII, perhaps it's not. And we'll see you then. 